Hi there, thanks for joining. Welcome to the podcast Well Well with your host, Kelly Steckler. This podcast exists to help you on your healing journey so that you can live your most authentic and fulfilling life. Well Well features a mix of guests as well as personal stories and insights from yours truly as I discover my path towards healing. Thanks for joining as we dive into the healing experience. Let's get healing. Today, I have a really special guest. I have Darcy Dietrich here with me today. She is a psychotherapist and registered associate marriage and family therapist in San Francisco, California. She has a master's degree in counseling psychology and is also working towards becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor. And today we're going to uncover the topic of intuitive eating. Before I jump to Darcy, I do want to offer a content and trigger warning. We are talking about dieting behavior, so please make sure that you do have a mental health support professional um, on standby if you are challenging with this particular topic. And without further ado, Darcy, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Well, before we dive into what intuitive eating is and your personal experience with it, I want to jump to the before. So who is Darcy and where were you? before intuitive eating. Yeah. So yeah. And just to note that, um, for this episode, I'll be talking about my personal experience with intuitive eating. So, um, none of this is intended to be uh, mental health professional advice. Um, but it is something I have a pretty significant background in, and I think it should become pretty clear why I was drawn to it, uh, just to kind of talk about, uh, my background. Uh, so I grew up in Connecticut, with, right outside of New York City, about 40 minutes away. I identify as a female, a straight female, um, a white female. And um, so I did have a good amount of privilege growing up, but I also experienced a lot of pressure just around body. So um, as a woman in our culture or um, a femme presenting person, Often there's a lot more pressure to be aesthetically pleasing um, and to be small. I think also I danced growing up for about 17 years and I also acted. And um, these were things I really loved, but you know, your, your body is, is literally on a stage. You are under the spotlight. And yeah, so there, there were kind of, there was a lot of pressure on me um, just in my existence and in the hobbies that I enjoyed to look beautiful and um, beautiful is defined by our society. I also grew up with a really well-meaning but naturally slim and very athletic family. Um, My biological father wasn't around so much when I was growing up and he is the person who really passed down his body type to me genetically. So my mom and my stepdad and my half brother all are very tall and um, can pretty easily, you know, maintain their size. They may feel differently about that, but my experience felt really different from theirs. And I really noticed from about the age of nine um, that my body was more of a mid-sized body, I would say, rather than um, someone who is naturally very slim. I also you know, speaking of privilege, had a lot of thin privilege compared to the experience of someone who is in a much larger body. But I still received, you know, a lot of comments at the doctor's office, comments from family, from friends, and in a couple of toxic relationships, just a lot of ideas about what my body should look like and the right ways to go about achieving that. Um, And then if you add in, you know, a healthy dose of perfectionism, um, I really felt like when my body was smaller, I was more lovable, I was more respected, and um, I was just in general, a better person. So anytime that my body strayed from what I thought that it should look like, or what other people thought that it should look like, I immediately felt horrible. And you know, I can't even really imagine what this experience would be like for uh, people with different identities because I was so protected with my privilege. What this looked like uh, when I went to healthcare offices was 
hey, you know, your, your BMI is a little bit high, nothing too bad, but, you know, you really should try to lose 10, 15 pounds. And this messaging really started when I was maybe 13, 14. And, it, you know, it's pretty powerful to have a physician tell you, you need to lose some weight. So that really set me on this path of dieting. And, oh, Kelly, I tried so many diets. <laughs> I really did the rounds. Um, and, yeah, I started with Weight Watchers in high school. I would have Slim Fast for breakfast. Um, I tried the South Beach Diet, Atkins, Paleo, lots of calorie counting. And my experience doing this was completely accepted, com- felt like it was completely normal. I received mm-hmm. a ton of social support, you know, like you can do it, just shave those last five pounds, you know, skip, skip the fries, skip breakfast, don't plateau, which is really uh, when you can't lose any more weight because your body is naturally kind of like, hey, this is around where I'm supposed to be. Um, and you're denying it, you know, the calories that it needs, especially in my adolescence. And I was, I was trying to, my body was trying to grow and develop. Um, and yeah, so this, you know, experience of dieting um, also included pretty extensive exercise, um, you know, sometimes going twice a day, um, And I'm not against, by the way, you know, people eating in a certain way or moving in a certain way. But for me, it was never connected to what I felt my body needed or wanted. It was always connected to um, this goal of being slimmer so that I, um, yeah, could achieve some of that social status and acceptance. And I feel like, too, this is something that's so important because it is shaped by our society. And I'm sure I could imagine on, you know, any level, no matter who you are, we have all somewhat felt this way of, I need to look a certain way to be able to fit in whatever that looks like, which be in, you know, to the point of you talking about getting these messages at such a young age, that can be incredibly damaging. And it does create a path that is and a belief system, I think that is hard to break as well. Yeah, I'm really glad you touched on, on you know, well, everything that you just said, but especially the belief system, um, because, you know, at the time I wasn't, um, I was a child and a teen, and my brain wasn't really fully developed and able to see that, you know, my family, um, you know, who did encourage me and still do uh, to, to try to diet and to try, you know, to make sure I'm moving enough. Um, You know, that is truly coming from a place of love and concern and care. Um, And unfortunately, the way that it felt to me at the time was that I was letting them down, was that I was really disappointing my whole family um, and that I was an embarrassment So, you know, that's, yeah, that's a lot to hold. I feel myself even feeling emotional thinking about that now. And I also think about, you know, how this played out with just my relationship to my body. So, you know, crying in dressing rooms over the size of pants or a dress, um, feeling like I was the only one who really struggled with this, like watching my naturally thin friends eat whatever they wanted and their body wouldn't change and feeling like, you know, there's something just wrong with me um, because I didn't fit that mold of what society tells us we're meant to look like. And, you know, there are a lot of things going my way. I um, am relatively able-bodied. I do have a chronic pain condition, but, um, and I'm also white and our society really emphasizes white, slim, tall bodies um, with with curves and muscles and in all the right places. So, um, yeah, I think that really set me up to lose connection, to shut down connection to my body. 100%. And I think too, you know, I would love to hear your perspective and also your experience on trying these diets. I think it has become such a fad as well of diet hopping. It's like one diet doesn't work. Okay. Now I'm going to try something else. And now I'm going to try something else. And it's all like, we're in this scary 
cycle we're kind of all in it together I feel like any everyone I know is trying some type of diet or trying some type (laughs) of whatever and it doesn't seem to be very sustainable (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah that's such a great question I mean and I want to make clear that for me a lot of my diets the diets I tried were probably like, I think what, you know, that diet company Noom um, would say is like your mom's diet. You know, I certainly did a lot of the more traditional diets that were just purely focused on losing weight. But as I got older, I totally got into, you know, anti-inflammatory diets and, you know, whole 30 eating quote unquote clean And, you know, I I do, again, I need to make it clear because I know even when I talk about this with friends today, they're like, well, those are lifestyle changes and it is healthy. And I'm not saying that it's not healthy. What I'm saying is not healthy for me is, you know, when I put so much pressure on myself to eat in a certain way, to have a certain outcome, often to lose weight, but sometimes also like for purity, um, for, you know, health in my body, like food as medicine, um, that became really dangerous for me because um, I wasn't able to tell not only like, do I feel hungry? Do I feel full? But also what foods actually make me feel good? And I know, you know, a lot of people do cleanses with juices and I believe strongly in body autonomy. We should all be able to do what we want. But I imagine that often what's happening, you know, when someone decides to go on some kind of diet is because they're experiencing some sort of shame around something that's going on. So I know a lot of my friends who don't really identify with trying to lose a lot of weight do identify with like, I've been drinking a lot or I've been eating a lot of crap. So I'm just going to do like Mm. a three or four day juice cleanse. um, And that will make me feel like I'm better. And there really is kind of this question of morality of like, am I eating well? (laughs) And um, yeah, there's like all this hope that kind of comes up when we, when we hear about this new way. So for me, um, I, I still think about like, what was I really wanting? I was wanting acceptance. I was wanting love. I was wanting to feel control for sure. And I was using food and exercise as a substitute for what was actually happening emotionally. And in the beginning, it was always, um, especially as a perfectionist, it was like, okay, I'm going to do this perfectly. Um, And I didn't really stray. I had a very easy time sticking to diets for the first couple of months. Um, And then at a point, they either became so unsustainable and I felt just so deprived where, you know, maybe even I remember in my twenties, everyone would get pizza after a night out. And I had chosen not to eat gluten at that time, hoping it would help with chronic pain and also secretly make my body slimmer. And I would, you know, I would eat a salad, which, you know, I don't know about you, Kelly, but that's like the last thing I want to eat after, like, after really the last on the list, night. it wouldn't even be on the list. <laughs> yeah. A healthy night of binge drinking, which, you know, also questionable behavior. But um, yeah, it wouldn't be on the list. And I felt, again, like, what's wrong with me? Why do I need to do this? Everyone else seems to be fine eating pizza. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then I start to feel like a failure. Either the results don't come through. So ultimately, my body, you know, maybe it's smaller, but um, it feels like the only way it can be smaller is if I keep eating in this way. And then And then just like kind of depression about that, you know, just feeling like, man, I'm so messed up that I can't just eat in a way that makes my body quote unquote normal. Um, What's wrong with me? What's really interesting about diet culture is that we're taught to believe that taking part in a particular diet will produce an outcome of feeling better. I feel like in every way, like mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, And it's kind of like these things are marketed and promised to us, but a lot of times they actually have an adverse effect. Like I feel like Personally, from my experience, the amount of shame associated from trying a diet and failing it um, or not being able to enjoy things at Thanksgiving dinner that other people are able to enjoy. And so it does create, you know, a a toxic mindset 
um, that I think is, you know, is also harmful. And I feel like this is also too a perfect segue of transitioning toward how you found intuitive eating. Mm. So I would love for you to speak on that. Like, it sounds like you were at a place where you were trying all of these diets, they weren't sustainable. And then, you know, you found intuitive eating. So I would love for you to touch on that um, and share that. Yeah. So um, immediately before I discovered intuitive eating, um, I really noticed that I just hated my body no matter what. And it didn't matter how many girlfriends told me, you know, your body is amazing or how many sexual partners told me um, or romantic interests told me that they liked my body. Um, There was just this like persistent sense of, yeah, of dislike and distrust. Um, I would compare myself to friends. I would feel really jealous. I would change my outfit a million times before going out. And I also really lost like connection to movement. And I noticed um, I started grad school two years ago. um, And at the time, my my physical activity changed pretty dramatically uh, where previously I'd been walking to my office every day. And um, yeah, I I was able to kind of fit in physical activity, but with the additional stress um, plus fibromyalgia for me, I, um, I really stopped moving overall. And then I just felt like extreme guilt about, um, about not moving. And then when I did move, I would move so much that I would trigger a pain response from my body. And I would be, you know, kind of like laid up for a couple of days after what could have just been a nice short run. You know, it had to be turned Mm -hmm. into this intensive workout. And I was feeling like, what's going on? Like, it feels like over the last few years, my body size has slowly um, increased. And I know that that has to do with age, but I also, um, yeah, I was, I was kind of confused. And I also realized that even when my body was small, I hated it still. (laughs) So I was kind of in this place where I was really interested in finding another diet, to be honest. Um, but I, I had sort of this anger bubble bubbling under the surface where I was like, well, what is the point? I mean, I'm just going to lose weight, still be unsatisfied, and then start binging again. Um, So, like, why would I start this cycle over? And it was actually in a class another student had had recommended a podcast called Food Psych by Christy Harrison, who's a registered dietitian. And when I first discovered intuitive eating, um, man, I felt just sort of this transformation. Um, intuitive eating is, is a health at every size mentality. Um, so health at every size, um, is a a paradigm basically that addresses the fact that actually weight may not be the best indicator of health. Um, there are other things that are way more important than the size of your body. And so it's not saying that you can just eat whatever you want and, not move at all and still be quote unquote healthy necessarily. Although, you know, there's so many individual experiences where people might need to eat whatever they want and and not move. And their health is very personal to them. So intuitive eating really builds off of this idea and notices that we've lost connection with our body. We've lost connection with what it feels like to move, what it feels like to eat and sort of why we eat. So it's a, it's a self-care eating framework and it integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. It was created by two dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch in 1995. And their goal is to help people learn or relearn to trust their body and its signals rather than relying on external information about when you should eat, what you should eat, and how much you should eat. Wow. That's, I feel like, mind-blowing to think about. (laughs) Like, phrasing it in that way of, wow, these diets that we've been taught to believe, you know, will help and reshape our bodies, 
in this way to be accepted, the idea of framing it of like, it's really telling us when we can eat, what we can eat, how we can, you know, how we can eat. It's like controlling those every moves. And instead it's shattering that Mm -hmm. and really drawing it back to yourself of like trusting yourself and your instincts. And it's just based Mm -hmm. on you, which is really, really powerful. It's so powerful. And it's also so scary. (laughs) (laughs) um you know of course when I first heard this I was like this is way too good to be true like what are you saying are you saying so you're first of all saying that my body is fine as it is right now which is so hard for me to believe especially when I've received messaging you know most of my life that it's not fine it's not fine right now can we briefly touch on the amount of research that you've uncovered around what we've been taught to believe about mm-hmm. what health actually is mm. yeah, is not the case at all. Because I remember when we were originally talking about intuitive eating, I had a heavy level of skepticism toward intuitive eating yeah. because I grew up and was taught that being a certain size was bad for your health. Right. It could cause X, Y, and Z problems. Um, and that actually doesn't seem to be the case. Exactly, which is a really hard thing to trust. And so I really welcome your skepticism and I welcome my own skepticism that still comes up sometimes. Um, so yeah, it's it's really basically they have started to uncover that first of all, people who are in overweight bodies, quote unquote overweight bodies. Um, actually tend to have longer lifespans than people in smaller bodies or who are even slightly underweight. And also that each body is really genetically programmed to be around a certain size. So there's, um, you can look up set point, weight set point theory. And so this just says that there are, there's really a 10 to 20 pound range in general that your body just really likes to be at. And when you are doing all the healthy things that you should do, like eating a nutritious diet, yes, and moving in ways that feel good, your body's probably going to settle to this place. And when you allow your body to settle into this place, that is a positive impact on your health if you can start to accept it. Because the opposite of this is continuing to pursue diets. And unfortunately, Diets just do not work in the long term. And that's why there is, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars industry around diet and weight loss. You know, there's really a capitalist interest in here. And there's also actually racist, um, a racist background to this, where um, starting even in the, I think the 1500s is the earliest time that we found so far to be to have a larger body is to be quote unquote blacker and to be blacker you know is is nowhere near as good as being white so there's an excellent um book by sabina strings who's a scholar called fearing the black body the racial origins of fat phobia so basically it says that a combination of white and patriarchy are at the roots of this um and it started in europe yeah in the 1500s And there's also kind of a lot of bullshit (laughs) when you start to uncover, you know, why we decided that weight was the indicator of health. Um, The BMI, which, you know, we've all been measured against at the doctor's office for as long as I've been alive, was was not at all created for that intention. It was created by a scientist um, who was not a health scientist it was specifically never intended to be a measure of health, um, nor was it intended to indicate the level of fatness in an individual. So yes, this, this man was a, a mathematician and it doesn't really make any sense. If you take people who we think are the healthiest people, um, so I'm thinking about maybe professional athletes would be like what society may think health is healthy they they often have really high BMIs because the formula doesn't account for um, for muscle, it doesn't account for bone density, and it doesn't have, account for these genetics. So the way that this kind of got pulled into our medical system is is really through corporate interests. 
And in fact, in the 90s, overnight, the CDC agreed to change the levels for a normal person, uh, quote unquote, normal weight, an oversized weight and an obese weight to make it a smaller category of what is normal. And the thought is that, you know, this was lobbied for by diet companies, you know, to make people feel like not only, you know, will you not be attractive, but you will be unhealthy. And then you think about the obesity epidemic and even things that, you know, I love Michelle Obama, but Michelle Obama's war against obesity in children is extremely damaging because dieting cannot transcend biology. Our bodies are, are designed to seek energy and to maintain sort of this homeostasis. And when we try to override that, our bodies feel like we're going into famine and slowly start to shut down different organs. I mean, Kelly, I know you, you know, were doing some weightlifting and um, fitness modeling for a while. And I imagine that losing your period is really common. It is. Yeah. And it becomes it normalized. Yeah. And the problem is that is not supposed to be happening. You know, in an ideally the healthy it, functioning body, your period's working. Yes. That was actually something that my coach. So yes, I did a bikini competition last year at the end of 2019. And I loved working with my coach because actually he helped break a lot of barriers that I had in my mind around yeah. eating. I was eating six big meals a day. I was eating over 2,500 calories a day and it was full of rice and potatoes and eggs and fish and, you know, a lot of, especially when it came to the rice and the potatoes mm. part, I like, I remember going to him and I was like, this doesn't seem right to me. Um, are you sure that this will help me, you know, build this strong muscular body? And he was like, this is correct. Your body needs fuel. He goes, I would urge you to look at your belief system around what constitutes as, you know, good. And like you said, like quote unquote, good mm. food. And it did, it really challenged the way that I thought about what your body needs to, you know, to achieve right. X. And, but to that end, some people do it really dangerously and they do, they have a ton of hormonal imbalances. Um, it's very, very common that if you, if you are consistently training um, years and years, like it is very common for women to lose their periods and to um, experience extreme imbalances. So it is quite dangerous if done the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy that your body will adjust depending on how you're for sure, it. For sure. And we think that we can just like, you know, ignore that. <laughs> and we're taught that we can. Yeah. So there's actually also this obesity paradox where, okay, let's say that you do believe that being overweight is unhealthy, just being overweight. You know, the problem is that diets do not work. And when you look at longitudinal studies, so things over six months, because a lot of people can maintain a diet for six months, when you look at the long term, mm. not only do people not lose weight in the long term, but they actually start to gain weight and they push their set point up even higher. So studies show that up to 95% of diets don't work. And up to two thirds of people end up gaining more weight than they lost, which is totally true for me. And I think about the size that I was at, you know, 10 years ago, granted I was younger at the time. It has just gone up over time after every diet, I would settle a little bit heavier than I had before, which, you know, caused me a lot of anger at first. But then when I learned, this is just my body trying to protect me. This is my body saying, whoa, 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 we need way more calories. We need more potatoes. We need more bread, you know, to function. Um, and since you're not doing that, I'm actually going to slow down your metabolism because I don't want us to be moving through this energy this quickly because clear, you've shown me, you know, Darcy, that, that I can't trust you to consistently feed me what I need, mm. which is really sad. You know, it, it makes me sad that I denied my body what it wanted and needed for so long. 
But actually, this kind of can lead me to the 10 principles of intuitive eating and basically what the answer is. Because I think for me, once I realized like I had been mistreating my body and I had been doing something that was ineffective and actually causing me to have like a really strange relationship with food. <laughs> it's funny. I, I talked to someone recently who had just come off a diet and they were like, I was so excited. I reached my goals. And they said the first food that they went for was Cheetos and Snickers and that they just wanted to eat Cheetos and Snickers all day. And I was just thinking like, oh, like <laughs> I would not want to be you at the end of that day. That would feel so sick, you know, so bad to my stomach. Like I'm all for having a couple of Cheetos or maybe I'll go and have, you know, a Snickers every once in a while. But I've really learned that yeah, like I, I'm, it's fine if I have that, but it's not going to taste good in the end and it's not going to feel that good. Um, so what these two dietitians have um, come up with are these 10 principles that you learn over time. And the goal is to either remove a barrier that prevented you from listening to your body's internal cues about what it needs or to get you into deeper touch with those cues. So the first principle um, to help you gain body attunement or remove the obstacles to it is to reject the diet mentality. And um, man, this took a long time for me. This is really noticing all of the rules that you've internalized over the years. So for you, Kelly, it's that carbs are bad and you need to have not a lot, mm -hmm. you know, to have an ideal body. Um, for me, it was not eating gluten when I do not have celiac disease, <laughs> um, it was feeling like my body weight, um, realizing that my body weight is not a behavior, that it's just kind of um, an attribute of who I am. And it's also like all of the shoulds, like I shouldn't eat too late at night, even if I'm hungry. Or if I feel hungry, maybe I'm just thirsty. Well, no, if you're hungry, you're probably hungry or you're feeling really deprived from eating. And yeah, maybe you're thirsty too. <laughs> or eating gum, you know, to try to stave it off or having coffee and um, eating extremely clean, you know, eliminating butter, eliminating dairy. And I, again, I'm not saying that, that everybody should just hop on board and eat whatever they want. But I would invite anyone listening to really think about what are the food rules that you've set for yourself and how did those get set? Was this because you learned somewhere else that this was good for you to do? Or is this something that you've really experimented with and you know, I don't feel so good, you know, when I, when I indulge in that. Right. Because it's, because intuitive eating, like you mentioned, it's not about eating whatever you want, but it's really just about being in touch with when you do consume certain foods, actually checking in with the awareness and after of how it physically makes yes. you feel. Um, so yeah, when I was first, uh, recognizing, um, rejecting the diet mentality, I was so angry. Yeah. That I had been kind of made to suffer for all of this time. And it really brought up a lot for me around boundaries where I really had to set firm boundaries with friends and even my partner, um, hearing about a friend doing a diet was so triggering to me it made me feel both angry and also it made me feel um, like what I was doing was wrong. Mm. And I didn't realize Kelly, like how often people talk about diets. I mean, from things where like, you know, I'd be at dinner with someone and they would order fries and they would apologize to the server for ordering fries and say, I've been really good today or I'm being so bad. Oh my gosh, I feel seen. So... <laughs> I mean, mean, I've done it. I've done that yes. too, right? And like, or even, you know, being at the grocery store, you've got like a cart full of veggies and then you add in a Haagen-Dazs, right? And you're at the register and you're like, oh, please don't judge me, you know, for having like mm -hmm. ice cream, you know? Um, and I had to really try to get off my soapbox <laughs> about this stuff too. Because <laughs> once I learned about it, I was like, you guys are crazy. Why are you doing keto? You can't do keto. And you know, I've really learned that like we all get to make whatever decision we want with our body 
And this, this is the path that I've chosen. And so I had to learn to talk to friends about that and say, you know, right now I'm feeling really sensitive and tender in this area. And it would be so helpful to me if you could just not talk to me about, you know, the cleanse that you're doing just for now. And now I'm in a healed place, but the second um, principle is honor your hunger. And this is something I'm still really working on. It requires something called interceptive awareness which is our ability to perceive physical sensations that arise from within the body. So I have a question, Kelly, which is, are you able to tell when you have a full bladder? Yes. I feel like this is like, a trick question, but I feel like answering that. <laughs> yeah, that's not a trick question. Yeah. And like pretty reliable, right? I mean, you know. Right. And when you have a full bladder, what do you do? I go to the bathroom. Right. Okay. And you said that, like, this is so freaking obvious. I know you feel like I'm setting you up. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this I, feels too easy. This is a trick. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, it, it is and it isn't, right? Because, like, can you feel your hunger cues? Like, how do you know when you're hungry? My stomach starts to growl. Your stomach starts to growl. And how often is it that you really quickly, like, when your stomach is growling, which, by the way, is, like, kind of like a late hunger cue like you probably have some cues before that happening because that's really like your your stomach's like okay clearly you're not getting it like I really yeah that is interesting um but there are other there are other hunger cues one is just like thinking about food (laughs) interesting have you ever been like started thinking about lunch and you're like (laughs) all the time Right. And so like the diet culture response, the thing we've been taught to do is say like, okay, well, too bad. You're going to have to wait because it's not lunchtime. But in truth, like it actually feels really good for a lot of people's bodies to eat every two to three hours. And what would it be like if you just ate a little snack at 10? You know, how would that impact sort of the rest of the day? Like for me, what I've learned is if I listen to my hunger, if I honor my hunger, I'm not going to be shoveling food into my mouth, you know, later on. It's mm-hmm. not going to be this, like, I need to eat now. I'm shoving ingredients in as I'm cooking. I'm, like, picking things from the pan when I don't think anyone's looking, right? It's, it's, it's like, I, I was relatively well-fed throughout the day. Um, so I'm still, I'm still really working on that. Um, make peace with food. This was a really fun process. I and that's the third one? That's the third. Sorry. Thank okay. you. That's the third principle. I would not recommend doing this the way I did it, which was I made peace with like all of the foods at once. <laughs> so <laughs> what they really recommend is making a list of the foods that are kind of off limits to you and starting to see food as like food is just food is fuel and food is there for enjoyment. And so like an Oreo and an apple, we think of those as being very different foods but they can both serve perfectly fine purposes in our lives, you know, in, in feeling satisfied in feeling full. Um, and so I had to make peace with first was noodles because I'd been gluten-free for six years. And I thought when I eat these noodles, I'm going to like, I'm going to have like extreme diarrhea. Like when my body is going to just like explode. Totally reject it. And I'll be so much pain. Right. I had these like amazing Chinese noodles from a nearby restaurant and I obviously gobbled them down extremely quickly and I felt fine. Nothing changed. And in fact, my pain has only improved in the time that I've been doing intuitive eating and I've been eating a lot of gluten (laughs) Um, because I learned that there's just, there aren't really any studies that are evidence-based and peer-reviewed that show that, you know, not eating gluten when you don't have a a true gluten sensitivity or autoimmune disorder, um, that that's actually going to be that path. It's kind of the new fad, right? And it's actually going out of style. But in the 90s, it was eggs. Like, we couldn't eat eggs. So other foods I made peace with were pizza, donuts for so long. Oh, God, I ate so many donuts. Pop-Tarts, peanut butter um, in all forms. Chips, saltines, saltine crackers, uh, cookies, ice cream, American cheese slices, uh, cookie dough, bagels, brownies, bread, and candy. 
Um, and some of these I had to eat for like a lot longer than others. Like donuts really took me a long time to teach myself, Hey, like it's okay if you have a donut. And I moved from having like two to sometimes even three donuts in a sitting because I just felt so deprived. I had this story that I wasn't allowed to have donuts and they were so bad and they were just going to be the thing that, that killed, you know, whatever progress I'd made. And now I'm at a place where I realize if I eat three donuts, I, that's fine. I'm not going to feel well. Um, I'm just, it's not, it doesn't do it <laughs> for my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I don't feel that same temptation. Like, I don't feel like, why would you bring me donuts? You know, what are you doing to me? I feel more like, oh, cool. Like I'll have a half a donut. Um, and that's really freeing. Um, so I would recommend, you know, starting with the list and then picking the first thing, maybe the thing that's least scary to you. Maybe it's saltines for you, <laughs> you know, if you're working with my list. And just starting with that, just seeing like, what's it like when I eat saltines? Um, and what's it like to reincorporate this into my, my diet? The um, fourth is to challenge the food police. So that's the little voice that comes into your head um, when you're eating something quote unquote bad. You know, it's like, there's a siren I'm hearing. It's like, like, hold on. Why are you having (laughs) ice cream with your friends? You can't have ice cream with your friends. What did you eat earlier today? Oh my God, you had oatmeal and you put a little brown sugar on it. That's way too much sugar for the day. You cannot do this. You know, it's like, because then the reaction to that is, yes, I can. Yes, I can eat the ice cream. And then you're totally losing touch with what you actually want, how much you want, and you're probably going to overeat. Number five is respect your fullness, you know, because often we can develop these binging behaviors in response to dieting. So then it's kind of like, okay, like, when am, when am I full? How do I know that I'm full now that I know I can have whatever I want, whenever I want? Uh, how can I eat in a way that, that is more in congruence with, like, just kind of eating what I need? Number six is discovering the satisfaction factor. And that is based on, you know, if you feel satisfied with the meal that you had, you're probably not going to eat other stuff. I don't know if you've done this, Kelly, but I used to feel like, okay, I'm really craving like Lay's potato chips. And I'd be like, well, I have rice cakes. And that's similar, right? It's crunchy. There's a little salt. <laughs> so I would like eat some rice oh, chips. Yes. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm I'm just like la- I don't I'm even... laughing so hard because <laughs> you've done this. <laughs> I- I do this all the time and it's so bad. Right. Cause then you're adding all these other foods that are not the thing, just the thing you wanted in the first place. Right. And you're like, I can just eat around it. And then suddenly you've had like six rice cakes, two packages of like dried seaweed, um, like a bunch of almonds and you feel like kind of sick, but you're still like, I, I didn't satiate it. And then you might move on to just like the actual bag of Lay's and then it's done. I have to, I have to say this just because it immediately <laughs> popped into my head and it made me laugh. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard uh, inside is I see, all, I see all these food bloggers on Instagram or like yeah. these lifestyle bloggers on Instagram. And like, have you seen the one circulating of a rice cake pizza where they like put, <laughs> where they put like, you know, a pizza, like a thin layer of pizza sauce on a rice cake and then like sprinkle a little bit of cheese. And they're like, this is just like a pizza. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, that is not, not a pizza not a or like pizza. the zucchini pizzas where they like, they cut a zucchini into little like cucumber looking slices and they drape like, you know, cheese and a little bit of sauce and they bake it. And they're like, these really hit the spot. And I'm like, that seems awful you're lying you're (laughs) lying to me and to yourself I yeah totally and I've done that like I had a spiralizer I was making zucchini noodles sometimes I would even make myself like a little half um pot of like gluten-free noodles and then I would have half a portion of that and half a portion of zucchini noodles so I was like now like I'm actually eating the noodles and then I would make my boyfriend like actual real pasta and then all meal, I'm eating this. I'm like, oh, I have to eat the zucchini noodles first because, like, they're gross, you know. And I'm like, just get those over with. And then I can move on to the gluten-free pasta, which is what I really wanted. And then I'm, like, eyeing my boyfriend's bowl angrily. Like, why do you get to eat that pasta, you know? Right. And then I really yes. want dessert. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm 
mad, you know? And like, you know, it's funny because like I, you know, I've noticed like as I've gone through this, like there are plenty of foods that I actually do really like. Like I really like vegetarian heavy foods. I, I'm, I love like sweet potatoes. A lot of the things that I would have eaten from a diet place before, but I'm not eating them in the quantities that I used to. I'm feeling fully satisfied and I'm eating them when I want to. Mm-hmm. which is such a difference. So yeah, you're not alone. Um, number seven is honor your feelings without using food. So, you know, it's really like emotional eating is different for everyone. And intuitive eating says like, sometimes we are going to eat emotionally. You know, last week for us, as we're recording this was election week, which no matter what side you're on, I'm sure you were stressed. And I, I'm sure that everyone was like, oh, I'm just going to have an extra glass of wine or, okay, let's just get the pizza, you know, in tonight, like whatever. And that's fine. You know, as long as you are not doing that routinely as your only way for honoring your feelings and you're noticing like, I'm eating this because I'm feeling kind of stressed and that's okay. I'm allowed, but I also got to deal with this stress in another way. Um, Principle number eight is respect your body. Oof that I'm still working with. I've definitely sized up through doing intuitive eating. I also um, had an illness and an injury last year. And yeah, buying clothes in a larger size has not felt great. It has not made me feel particularly sexy. But what I'm pursuing is, is body neutrality. Like, I don't have to love and be obsessed with my body. Like, it's not all that I am, first of all. And second of all, like, I can just feel neutral and grateful that my body can do all the amazing things it can do. So sometimes this is starting out with like, I'm so thankful that my body has allowed me to dance. I love dancing. I love dancing in clubs. I love dancing with friends. I love dancing in my room. And like, how awesome is it that my thick thighs, you know, really allow me to drop it low. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) And just like being like, oh, body, you know, oh, like, you're feeling really tired today. Okay. That's, that's okay. Let's do some slow, gentle movement. Let's do a restorative yoga class. I'm not going to push you into doing something that you're telling me that you're not ready for. Number nine is exercise. Feel the difference. So I had to take probably a, a year off of like true exercise to be able to approach it from a place where I was doing it Um, to feel good, to feel good mentally and feel strong physically rather than to make my body look good or, you know, get a big booty or whatever it is I was trying to achieve based on the Instagram um, Mm -hmm. model examples. Um, And now I'm in a place where I'm like, wow, I like, I really love to walk. I really love to do yoga. I really love to dance. I love to hike. And now those things feel like my things. They're not they're not the things that I quote unquote should be doing because that's what I should do. That's healthy, you know, and that will make my body small. It's like, these are things that I want to do. These are my activities. And then number 10 is honor your health with gentle nutrition. And well, now these principles, you can go in any order that you want. There is an intuitive eating, um, sort of scale assessment to help you understand what areas are more challenging for you than others that is peer-reviewed and evidence-based that can help you determine, you know, where are you struggling the most in your relationship with food and your body? And that can help you decide what principle should I start with? But you should almost never start with number 10, which is honoring your health with gentle nutrition. Um, Because Often what can happen is the diet culture and the diet police kind of come in and they co-opt that that gentle nutrition because there's a huge difference between thinking, okay, um, I had, you know, this for breakfast and, oh my God, like I need to have this for lunch or like I already had bread today. I can't have bread again, Um. you know, and thinking about, okay, like what are some, like, how can I make sure that my macros are at least well represented in this meal And if they're not, maybe they'll be well represented in my next meal. And also touching in to like, you know, when I eat fiber, I feel good. That helps everything move (laughs) internally. You know, it helps my body function the way it's supposed to. Um, But that doesn't mean that I'm going to throw a bunch of vegetables in that I don't actually even really like. 
And one of my favorite um, scientific findings from all of this is that this is from Lindo Bacon. Uh, they are um, one of the founders of Health at Every Size. And they studied nutrition and found that when we eat foods that we don't like, we actually tense up because when you have a negative reaction to anything, your body naturally tenses up because it wants to move away from it. So when this experience is happening, let's say you hate broccoli, but you eat broccoli because, you know, it's a, it's a quote unquote superfood. You're eating this broccoli and your body is actually not absorbing as many nutrients as it would. As if you ate something. This is a study. Like, that's, this is a true that's scientific been done. study. Wow. <laughs> so it's like, if you don't eat like broccoli, don't eat broccoli. You know, like there are plenty of other foods that can offer you the same nutritious benefits. And in fact, will be better absorbed into your body and your bloodstream. So that is incredible. Yeah, those are those are the 10 principles. And um, I know that, you know, you and I have talked in the past about how I think this is true for most growth and healing um, is that like, you know, I've gone through these 10 principles. I, I ended up doing an online class and that was about a year and a half ago. And I'm now as I'm pursuing this uh, intuitive eating health certification, counselor certification, I'm I'm learning this again and I'm absorbing so much more than I did the first time. And I'm seeing, you know, little areas that I didn't really, I didn't really get the first time around. And that is normal. Like this is, this is a path that I am pursuing. I am pursuing becoming an intuitive eater, which means unprogramming over 20 years of, of, of knowledge that says something completely different and learning again to be back in touch with my body and to listen to those signals um, faithfully. That is such a perfect segue because I want to touch on where you are now and where you see yourself moving forward with intuitive eating. So where I am now is, you know, I still feel like, uh, this is really challenging for me in many ways. I still, um, am working on like body acceptance, body neutrality, um, honoring my hunger, and continuing to move my body in ways that support it rather than like to punish it. Um, but what I also have gained is way more self-compassion, a lot more happiness, so much more time and brain space. I have finally stopped counting the calories in my head of different things that I eat. I don't wake up and step on the scale and let that dictate how my day will go. Um, I usually just put on clothes once and just leave because they fit rather than like putting on a bunch of different outfits and feeling unsatisfied and ultimately like kind of crying. Cause I'm like, Oh, I can never like find anything that looks perfect on my body. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm yeah. really, I really feel like I'm kind of making friends with my body and I'm like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> sorry for, you know, setting up a war between us all those years. Um, I trust you and you're super wise. Um, and I'm also navigating like, you know, how this has impacted my relationships, you know, putting up a really strong boundary with my partner in many ways was damaging because I felt like I couldn't let him into my process. And then he felt like, what is my girlfriend doing? <laughs> why is she, why are there suddenly craft American cheese singles in the refrigerator? And like, she seems upset that she's gaining weight, you know? Um, and with my friends and family who, you know, many, most of my friends seem to be really accepting and my family ultimately wants me to be happy. Um, but you know, they still have a lot of these diet culture beliefs and it's very difficult to just sit down with someone and convince them, you know, that this is the way and sure doubts come up in my mind all the time. Like, will this actually support my health? What, what will my numbers be at my next physical? And I'm, I'm always going to have a critical stance when it comes to looking at this. And I think it's important that everyone does, but what I ask of my relationships is they, is that they at least accept this sense of body autonomy and that they trust that this is something that I've done a lot of research into for myself. This is something that makes me feel a lot better about myself at the end of the day. And it's really served as a vehicle for deepening my own self-compassion, overcoming some of these perfectionistic tendencies, 
and actually, yeah, decreasing overall like mental and physical pain in my life. So, so incredible and empowering. Yeah. And, you know, before we start to close, you know, close this talk out, are there any, I know that you mentioned really great resources and I'll definitely make sure that those are in the notes, but I also want to provide space if there are any other resources that have helped you that also may help other people if they're wanting to explore a similar route with intuitive eating. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking. Um, I mean, the very, very best resource um, would be um, the the book, Intuitive Eating, A Revolutionary Anti-Diet Approach. It's now on the fourth edition by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. And um, this will kind of lead you through the science and also the process. And they also have an outstanding workbook that can help you kind of move through it. Um, As I mentioned, Christy Harrison's podcast, Food Psych, was wildly helpful for me. Um, I also think it's important to recommend, let's see, um, a book by Sonia Renee Taylor called The Body is Not an Apology. And that can really help with kind of looking at the systemic influences that have caused us to feel like for whatever reason, our body is bad or it's not enough. And I love the book, Carolyn Duner's book, The Fuck It Diet, really takes you through definitely some of the science, but she is so funny and so relatable. And it was a really great um, way for me to enter into, yeah, this path and kind of um, working through some of my fears with eating sugar and fat and carbs, (laughs) which are all fine things to eat. I think that um, yeah. the last resource I would recommend would be um, Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. And I was wondering, Kelly, if it might make sense to um, lead you through a really quick self-compassion break, because that was something that I, I, I don't think I could have gotten through this process without. Yes, I would love to do that. Cool. So um, Kristen Neff is a researcher who has been doing a ton of excellent research on this on this idea of self-compassion, uh, which is really the antidote to perfectionism. And we've been trained to think that, you know, when we want to change something in ourselves, we need to just be harder on ourselves and stricter. And what research has shown is that that's not really the way often to move through growth. Instead, what's helpful is realizing that we are all human. We are all imperfect. And that's totally okay. So, Kelly, if I could invite you to think about something that you don't really like about yourself. Maybe not the worst thing, but, yeah, something that really irritates you about yourself that you tend to kind of get down on yourself for. Can it be anything, like, about my body or my, Anything. It can even be something you said that you're like, why would I say that? (laughs) It can be your body, Um, anything. I think just to keep on theme with our our chat today, I would say my thighs. thighs. I'm really, really hard on myself for my thighs. It's just so funny to me, Kelly, because having known you, I'm like, are you kidding me? You know what's you know what's so sad and hard is that I remember I was a soccer player and I do I feel like there are moments where I have compassion towards my thighs but it's very few and far between. Um and they're really strong and muscular. Um but I remember when I was on the soccer field uh I, I we were about to play a game and we were warming up. I remember the men's soccer team was sitting on the bleachers and I was running to go get a ball and literally hearing after me someone yell hey thunder thighs and it has stuck with me for over 10 oh years gosh yes. and, and we have... yeah and so I feel like that's what oh I my think gosh. of which I'm is so, so sad that's the thing that like that to you and that you know we didn't talk too much about this but weight stigma and all of the stress of being of having people comment negatively on your body actually it's painful. Not only is it painful but it's horrible for your health you know we know about 
cases, adverse childhood experiences. And yeah, a lot of people are fat shamed. There's this internalized fat phobia we all have to deal with. And I can, I can't even imagine. I mean, I think of you as having this like beautiful, tall, statuesque, perfect, you know, in my mind body. And I'm not going to take away from the fact that that is not your experience of your body. And that's been contributed to by that comment and, and also other things in our society. So when you think about your thighs, like, it sounds like you can be kind of hard on yourself about them. 100%. Now let's imagine that I'm telling (laughs) you the first, this is one exercise, which is like, okay, I'm telling you as your friend, Kelly, I hate my thighs. And when I think about my thighs, I just want to like carve away at them. I just want to like suck everything out of there. And I just feel like if I just could do more squats and was like a little more focused, then I could get my thighs under control. And then I think everything would be good. But yeah, I hate this about myself. What would you offer to me, you know, as a friend? As a friend, I would offer to try and give yourself grace and just to, and it's hard, like even saying it to, you know, accept that part of your body and there's so many great things that your thighs and legs allow you to do I think that that's what I would say and that's hard to say to and it's so hard to believe, hard to believe for yourself, yeah right? so one exercise yes. recommended by Kristen Neff that you can find on self.compassion.org is to you know find the thing that causes you this stress and then talk to yourself as if you were a friend I actually wrote a letter to myself about my weight from the voice of my best friend who has had many conversations with me while I'm crying about, you know, what I perceive my weight and body to be and to mean, where she said like, oh, I wish you could see the way I see you. I love you. You're so beautiful. Oh, I you, know, love that. You, you are so much more than like this just bag of bones and muscle and fat. Like it kills me, you know, to hear you say those things. And I had to write a letter to myself and I'm going to have to do it again. I mean, so that's one thing you can do. And then the other thing is a self-compassion break. So if I could ask you to just kind of close your eyes and get settled for a second, you can leave them open if you prefer, but just sort of get settled in the present moment and really call to mind the stress and emotional discomfort in your body that comes up when you think about your thighs. And now to say to yourself, the first step, this is a moment of suffering. You can also try, this hurts, or this is stress. And we're just being here with ourselves in this moment of, yeah, of real stress and discomfort. And then to remind yourself, this is step two, that suffering is a part of life. That's common humanity. You know, other people feel this way. I'm not alone. Even models don't like their thighs. This is normal to feel this way. And then you have an option to, you know, put your hands over your heart or gently, you know, even rub the top of your other hand or your arm, some kind of soothing touch. Or if that feels a little too out there, you don't have to do that. And then say to to yourself, may I be kind to myself. You can also try different phrases like, may I give myself the grace that I need. May I learn to accept myself just as I am right now. May I forgive myself. And then kind of noticing what happens when you even think of offering that kindness to yourself, I personally feel a drop in my shoulders, a settling of my stomach, a sense of relief. How did that feel for you? It felt calming. And like, it was that things are okay. Yeah, like, you don't have the thighs that you of your dreams, apparently. And... You also, you don't need to in this moment, right? Even right. You're, you're fine. It's fine that your thighs are not the way you want them to be right now. 
but also, you know, it's not your fault and you're not alone in feeling upset about it. So this kind of practice can be used anytime. And I have found that as I practice it more and more, you know, I really moved from at one point Googling how to overcome failure when I burned a dinner dish. I literally Googled how to overcome failure for burning a dinner. I was so distraught, <laughs> you know, now to this place of like, oh my God, I burned my dinner. I'm definitely not the only one to burn their dinner. And this sucks. But like, okay, like I burned my dinner. I must have had a rough day. What am I going to do now? That's kind. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that and running through that exercise. I will definitely take that with me and implement that more. Um, Is there, is there anything one last, I guess like, you know, wisdom from Darcy that you can share. Yeah. It's just like, I'm like, I just want more and more and more. I mean, yeah. And I'm I'm speaking to myself by the way, as well. Um, It's just like, you know, we are, I think I was laughing with you, Polly, about how, like, everyone is always like, oh, like, <laughs> we are in uncertain times or in these times or there's so much stress, you know, like, we're, we're sick to death. I'm sick to death of hearing it. I'm like, I know, I know, I know I'm in a pandemic. I know that there's, like, extreme racism and biggest bigotry that is being uncovered again I know that the political sense of our nation is (laughs) you know it's really something else um and I have my own personal stresses right but it's really like you don't need to have a model body in a pandemic you know you you don't need to eat perfectly to be a good moral moral valuable human you are fine just as you are right now And I really believe that the sooner you can see and embrace that, you know, you'll see the resistance in all the other areas of your life just kind of relax. So, you know, whether intuitive eating is something that you're like, this is, I mean, these are all lies and, you know, this episode is is insane, (laughs) you know, or you're like, yeah, this, this is interesting. Um, and something I might want to look into, you know, all I, all I can do is wish you self-compassion and a little bit of patience with yourself because, um, we are, we are going through a a really hard time and, and we're going to be for a lot longer. Yes. And I think that what you offered on today's episode, you know, intuitive eating aside, the idea of being kind to yourself. And offering self-compassion can, you know, be applied to your whole being. So I really appreciate you you sharing that. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As this is a fully self-funded podcast, any love and support you can show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts would be so greatly appreciated. To connect and stay in the loop, please follow along through Instagram on Well Well Podcast. Until next time.